Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So last week we started a new series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and we went big. We went big. I preached on Jesus' words in John 6, on eating his flesh and drinking his blood, probably the most difficult thing he ever said. And if you missed it, you can go check it out on the sermon podcast. The link's on our Facebook page, or you can check it out on your, your phone or something like that if you, if you missed out. So the saying we're going to be looking at today is also a very difficult one because it hits us as Americans so close to home. So I remember a few years ago, I still lived in Florida, and I, had, I may have been back for about a year or so, and uh, I was a barista, which is a fancy word for coffee maker, at a, at a bookstore. And I heard about an amazing opportunity. All I had to do was uh, meet up with a group of people at somebody's house, and I would hear this wonderful business opportunity that would uh, net me a tidy stream of, of income. And so I went to the house and I heard the presentation and it revolved around helping homeowners refinance their houses, uh, their mortgages. So it was the height of the real estate boom, right? So the crash hadn't happened yet. So all of us were super, super eager. There's a lot of us in there, a lot of us in there. And we were told that there would be no cold calling, and it was all based on leads that would be given to the company. All we would have to do is just work on the leads that were given to us. So I was like, this sounds great. But when I got to the office, I found out the opposite was true. There was cold calling. And on top of that, we had to send out these really obnoxious letters to people trying to motivate slash scare them into calling us about refinancing their mortgages. And even though there was no pay, really, for the job unless you, somebody refinanced, um, I drove really far from where I lived to, to this office to do this. And I spent a lot of time in this effort that led to no real reward because I really, really wanted more money, even though I really didn't at the time. I was comfortable, things were okay, but I wanted, I wanted more. I should have known better because a few years before that, while living overseas, was not doing very well. I was you know, at school and working and stuff, but I wasn't getting paid a lot. And uh, I heard about another amazing opportunity to make money selling shakes and nutritional supplements for a company I will not name for legal reasons, uh, if the audio of this ever gets, uh, ever, ever gets spread. Uh, but I'll gladly tell you after the service if you'd like. But what they neglected to mention was the, the how that you would sell the product because there was no social media at the time. So you basically have to like annoy your friends and family uh, to, to, to buy everything. Um, but what you had to do is you actually had to, oh, by the way, you have to actually buy all the product that you want to sell. So they would make money right away up front, but uh, you would probably lose out because you'd be buying all this product and not being able to sell it. And I wound up just drinking it and eating it myself, uh, the little bit that I did buy, because I couldn't get anybody to, to go in on this. And it sounded good at the time, right? This desire to acquire more, to better myself. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, that desire for more can become so all-consuming that it clouds everything else. 
money and the quest to acquire it can lead us to some pretty dark places. Like trying to get your social media friends to become part of a pyramid scheme or signing up for the latest uh, weight loss pill or a fitness plan or something like that. Uh, and it can exert some really, really strong influence on us. And I say all this to set up the fact that as Americans, we are one of the most prosperous nations in the world. And that prosperity can have the effect of disassociating people from the needs of others. And personal individual prosperity is one of the driving forces of our culture. And in that light, today's hard saying of Jesus is meant to jar us. And it should because it sounds extreme. One thing, too, that I find happens when we come across something hard that Jesus said, I mentioned this a little bit last week, we immediately try to get out of it. We try to find the loophole so we can see Jesus' words and, and understand them so it doesn't actually mean what it means, and thus it has no claim on us or how we live our lives. But that's what these sayings are supposed to do. Just like his original audience, we need to be flipped, turned upside down, and get confronted by what life in the kingdom of God means for us and how that draws us, uh, how we are to live in Christ. So we heard the text read this morning about the rich man who, who runs up to Jesus and says, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments? And the guy says, I've kept them all. And Jesus looks at him and loves him, says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor to follow me. <laughs> and the guy uh, goes away, disheartened. And it's, the text tells us, for he has great possessions. And then Jesus says, the hard saying that we're going to look at today in the context of all of this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus sets off, the man runs up, asks him a question, you know the Ten Commandments. The man responds, I know the commandments and I've kept them ever since I was a kid. Now notice here, it doesn't say that Jesus is like, you're exaggerating, dude. He didn't say, no, you haven't kept the commandments. Jesus doesn't say that the man's claim is exaggerated. This man, like many people that, that Jesus comes across, seems to be sincere. And Jesus ends his instruction to the man by calling the man to follow him. But first, he needs to sell everything he has, give it to the poor, and then follow. And this, brothers and sisters, is the language of discipleship. When we look at the beginning of Mark, there's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. James and John are with their dad in the boat, and Peter and Andrew are working with their nets. Jesus walks across the scene, and what does he say to Peter and Andrew? Follow me. Follow me. And it says, Peter and Andrew put down their nets, and they followed him. Just like that. It doesn't say they folded up their nets and put them away and then dragged the boat and put it in dry dock or something and paid somebody to store it uh, in, a, in, a, in a storage shed or something for a while. It says they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And then the same with John and James. Jesus walks up to them and says, hey guys, follow me. And they're standing with their dad and the other workers in the boat. And it says they left. <laughs> they just, okay, see you guys. <laughs> they get up and they go. And Jesus says and calls this man to the exact same thing. Follow me. The language of discipleship. He's given the same opportunity to find what he's been seeking his entire life, eternal life, which is entrance into the kingdom of God. 
But sadly, he does not do what Jesus says, and he goes away disheartened, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus says something, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed by this, and Jesus repeats it, and then he intensifies it by saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So let's ask this question, brothers and sisters. Can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No, of course not, right? Even for like David Copperfield or Penn and Teller, not even Penn and Teller can get a camel to go through the eye of a needle unless it's an elaborate illusion. It's impossible. Like the children trying to, to uh, stuff their size 12 feet or their, you know, their size 10 feet into the little toddler 2T shoes. It's impossible. It can't be done. Jesus is saying it's impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom. But remember what I said earlier about trying to get out of the hard sayings, right? How many have heard this about the eye of the needle? I've heard this preached a lot. So people would say, well, the, the needle, eye of the needle actually isn't the eye of the needle. We know what the eye of the needle is. It's you have a needle, you use it for sewing, there's a little hole in it, you put the thread through and you tie it and then you can sew. That's the eye of the needle. Jesus is saying, camel can't get through that because... As you all know, camels are big and smelly, and they like to spit, apparently. People trying to kind of explain this, to soften it a little bit, to say, well, the camel, the eye of the needle was like a gate in Jerusalem, and it was really small. Uh, and so to get the camel to go inside, they had to get it to kind of like kneel down, and then they can lead it through this really little gate. So really annoying, kind of difficult, very labor-intensive, but not impossible, right? It's still able to be done. But that's kind of, that, there's nothing in the historical, the archaeological record to, to, to say that that's true, right? It's just, it's something that sounds really nice, but it's actually, it, it's not. It's, it's a modern thing, and I honestly couldn't figure out where it comes from. It's, it's, so, it's, a, it's sort of a ministerial urban legend that preachers tell, sort of like, uh, it's right up there with Abba means daddy or something like that, that just gets repeated over and over and over again. Um, in sermons. But the disciples respond with, because they get it right away, well, who can be saved then? If it's impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, then who can be saved? Jesus responds, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And then Peter starts to remind Jesus, he's like, hey, by the way, remember Jesus, we've left everything for you. Remember that time he came and called me and we just threw our nets down? Like if we were to go back, they'd probably either be stolen or be holes in it. We'd have to fix everything. Remember all that we left behind for you? And Jesus responds with, I remember. He affirms and he praises what they've done. And he says that your reward is eternal life and the, and the homes and the families that you lost, you will gain that back in this life. And we have this really lovely contrast here because it's not a stretch to say that the Peter and the other disciples, they weren't wealthy men, but they did have a livelihood. And they did. They gave that up to follow Jesus when he called. And the rich man, we have this contrast, right, between them and the rich man. The rich man does not follow because what he owned, owned him. Now, prosperity gospel preachers will look at this text and say, but look, Jesus promised them in this life a hundredfold return on houses and family. 
Well, the theologian Richard Hayes, he puts that nonsense to rest. He writes, there are compensations to be sure. Participation in the community of the faithful is itself a blessing. The community of disciples becomes one's new family, right? So life in the kingdom of God, this new family, these new homes that they will receive a hundredfold return on is life in God's kingdom with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the one thing he also says that you will have a hundredfold of, the prosperity preachers always overlook, persecutions. Hooray! Amen! May it be so. We don't like that part, (laughs) and that part gets left out out of a lot of preaching. Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to give everything up, and also you're going to get persecuted for following me. So how do we understand these hard sayings then? If a camel can't go through the eye of a needle, then how is a wealthy person to be saved? And to add some fuel to the fire, all of us sitting here, brothers and sisters, no matter how bleak our financial situations might be, all of us are wealthy in the eyes of most of the world's population. If you have transportation, a place to live, a TV, a telephone, you are better off than the majority of the world's population. So Jesus' words about wealth ring especially hard in our ears as Americans because we as a nation are wealthy. And by some metrics, we ourselves are wealthy, even if we're not part of the 1%. So in that light, brothers and sisters, it's impossible for all of us to enter the kingdom of God. All right, see you next week. Amen. Go in peace. I'm just teasing a little bit, but but Jesus, he's definitely using hyperbole here to make this important point, right? The rich can be saved because with God, all things that are impossible are possible. I think the book of Hebrews says, God calls things that do not exist as though they do. F.F. Bruce writes, the rich man's heart must be changed by having its attachment to material riches replaced by attachment to the true riches, treasure in heaven. Salvation, entrance into God's kingdom is something that cannot be earned. It can only be received. What we have here then in this story is a failed call to discipleship. Jesus calls, asks something difficult, and the call is rejected. And there's something about having wealth that makes following Jesus difficult. And I think the reason is that people who have a lot of material possessions and resources, they can tend to live out of trust in what they have. To acquire a lot means to work a lot, and to work a lot means to focus a huge amount of time in learning business, investing properly, planning ahead for all contingencies. And if one is not careful, it can leave little time to actually following Jesus. There's two things I think I'd like, well, three things I'd like us to see from this story. So the story, I think, is it's a failed vocation to discipleship. And it's also a story, brothers and sisters, of how we answer the call to discipleship. And in that light, I'd like to highlight the following. So number one, we see three things. The first one is Jesus calls, right? So like the rich man, Jesus calls to us to follow him. And we saw, like we said, the pattern set by the apostles, Peter and Andrew and John and James and the rest of the 12. 
And this plays itself out in a few ways. Firstly, in our initial salvation, the good news confronts our hearts, and we are called to faith in Jesus Christ. But this also plays out in our ongoing life of sanctification, being made holy. Jesus calls us to follow him in how we live our lives as his followers, which sets us apart from those who don't. Number two is Jesus looks inside Jesus looked into the heart of the rich man and he saw what his problem was and then he called him to let it go. He called him to let it go. And like the rich man, when we are confronted by the claims of Jesus, our sin is exposed and we are called to leave it behind too so we can receive new life. And and he looks inside of us to see what is keeping us from following, what is keeping us from serving. And as we are confronted with that, brothers and sisters, it's hard. <laughs> when we are confronted with that, we don't want to see the things that Christ is looking inside of us and telling us to give up. We don't want to give them up. But he sees through us. He looks inside of us. And then number three, he confronts us with something radical. A theologian named Maloney writes, Jesus' demands are radical in character. He claims the man utterly and completely and orders the removal of every other support which could interfere with an unconditional obedience. Brothers and sisters, if we truly claim the name of Jesus Christ, then the same is required of us. This individual call to this one in person to give up all they have, sell it to the poor, and follow Jesus, we may not have to do the same thing. But we will all be called to give something up. We will all be called to give something close to us up. We will all be called to give the thing that we trust in more than Christ, the thing that we pursue more than Christ. We will be called to give that up and to follow. And in following, we will be led then into what Christ has for us. And so it is possible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God because with God, all things are possible. It is a gift. It's up to us to, when we hear the call, to respond with trust and with faith. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be all glory, together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.